Well, we are continuing today in our message series called Life Starts Now, where we've been in the Gospel of Mark uh, for several uh, weeks, uh, almost we could almost say several months, at least a few months. And so today we're in Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 1. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Mark chapter 10. It's in the New Testament. And yeah, Matthew, Mark, second book into the New Testament, uh, or uh, if you've got your Bible on your uh, tablet or phone, invite you to find that. And let's stand together for the reading of God's Word as we read Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12. Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. So let me just give you context. Capernaum is really home base, uh, probably where you know Jesus was living. It's on the Sea of Galilee, kind of onto the north um, uh, western kind of part of the Galilee. Jerusalem, and then to the east of Jerusalem. Now, verse 2, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them with a question. Well, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. And he told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Let's have a seat together. Let's just get the elephant out of the room. This is a potentially uh, awkward, difficult conversation, right? Um... With with uh, with where we're at today, uh, in this room, there's not a single person here that has not been, at the very least, touched by divorce, if not uh, been through one or more marriages yourself. And so I want to approach this with truth and honesty, but also good grace and compassion and understand what Jesus says. The very fact that Jesus, the way, just the very way Jesus explains this, he's actually very honoring and, and elevating the status of women in his time. Uh, just the way he explains that uh, is actually, he recognizes that uh, as a woman, as if a man is to divorce his wife, he's actually committing a sin against her and not... Um, and that it's, he's not minimizing that in this way, committing adultery against her for the, for the purpose of divorce and vice versa. So Jesus is showing great care uh, to men and to women in this uh, passage. Now, we've all, like I say, all been impacted by divorce or at the very least a struggling marriage. Might have been yours, might have been someone else's. And every divorce is a heartbreak story. Let's be honest about that. Every divorce is a heartbreak, even when it's necessary, even when it has to happen, it's still a heartbreak. Uh, And historically, many conservative churches, and I would say including churches like this one, historically, um, many conservative churches have been fairly critical uh, and maybe even judgmental of those who divorced. I think a lot of stones got thrown in the past 
and we sometimes ignored things like the wickedness of, of domestic violence and marital unfaithfulness. I think that's all been part of kind of history around these things. And I would say, thankfully, the stigma of divorce has largely disappeared. And so I think we can have this conversation without, um, you know, again, casting stones. Um, and I think we've gotten more compassionate, uh, particularly for the cheated on or the abandoned or uh, abused spouse. And I just want to say, no one enters a marriage anticipating or hoping for or expecting or planning on divorce. That's never the intent. Hey, we're going to get married about 14 years in. We're just, uh, we're going to hopefully kind of go our own way. It's just never the intent. It's never the intent. So um, I want to be, just be kind of candid about that. Is, is this passage, though, about marriage and divorce? It seems that way, certainly, uh, there being, Jesus is being asked about this. And so I would say yes and no. Uh, it's the, it's the pretense for the conversation. Uh, what's happening is the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. They want to get him into a spot, um, where they can get him to contradict Moses, the giver of the law, and in so doing, they can, you know, have cause to destroy Jesus. Uh, religion, you have to remember, religion is never compassionate. It, it, there's no grace, there's no mercy in religion. And the Pharisees, they could not care less uh, about the devastation of divorce or the fallout of adultery. They, they're, they're not concerned about that. They're just trying to take down Jesus. Uh, and so you need to understand that context as well. They're about the technicalities of keeping the law. They mean well, uh, but they've missed the boat. Now, in confounding their efforts against him, Jesus really does address marriage, divorce, and adultery in this very short passage. Um, and I, I want to pause here again for a moment. That, that if you, if this applies to you, if you've been through a divorce or more than one divorce, I want you to remember that God is gracious. He's merciful. He loves you. You're not condemned uh, for what happened, whether it was something that you did or something that was uh, done to you. Uh, let's be honest. God's design for your marriage was to be a pure, lasting union. You made your vows in all sincerity. Um, you and your former spouse, however, are human, completely human. And someone failed in keeping those vows. Uh, and the covenant was broken. And I would just remind you, as you probably have discovered, you can heal and you can move forward and experience God's grace. Um, if the divorce was in part your own doing, you need to get with Jesus and make sure you've made that right with him and uh, make amends where you're able to. Uh, repent, receive God's forgiveness. If you're the wronged spouse, I would love to see you get to that place of healing and forgiveness where you're actually even able to forgive those that your your ex, uh, even though you pay a high price for your ex your ex's bad behavior. It, it's this is really the, the 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 remarkable thing about forgiveness is you're paying a price for what someone else did. That's all I can say about that. And uh, I would recommend something like Divorce Care. It's an amazing program uh, for those who've been. Uh, either are are going through a separation or divorce or have been, even if it's considerably in the past. And if you're remarried out of divorce, you have an opportunity to live your marriage as a testimony of God's grace and faithfulness in your life. 
All right. To be specific here about Jesus' teaching, particularly in verses 10 to 12, he's addressing the person who abandons their spouse to move into another relationship. So it's intentional unfaithfulness in the marriage that makes the next marriage an adulterous union, ungodly union. All right? So that, that's what Jesus is getting at when the disciples take him back, you know, into the house and they're saying, hey, you know, what do you, what do you really mean by that? And they're asking him, and that's when Jesus addresses that piece. And then at verse 6, uh, let me take you to verse 6 real quick. He says, uh, God made the male and female from the beginning of creation. Now, this is, this is really significant here. Jesus, again, never lets himself be kind of suckered into the, the, the debate that they want to get him into. He, they ask him the question and he just spins it back to them as a question. Well, what does Moses say? And so the while Moses says it's okay and then Jesus, uh, kind of takes control of the conversation from there. But at verse six, Jesus uses this opportunity to affirm that God established marriage at creation as a union between one man and one woman. So if you ever wonder why do Christians make such a big deal about, about marriage, it's because it goes back to the very founding, the back to the very start when God created the heavens and the earth, uh, created all things in six days, took a day of rest, establishing a Sabbath for us, created all things in male and female, including man and woman, husband and wife. So God, that's kind of God's, we need to understand that's fundamental to God's creative design. Everything in creation uh, is split into two sides, right? You've got light and dark, day and night. Um, you've got uh, heavens and the earth, right and wrong, male and female, God and man, above and below. God, everything is split into these two sections. You need to understand that dichotomy. In anti-biblical philosophies, things like you know humanism and Eastern religion or New Age or atheism, they will all seek to erase that division. The language is always, we're all one, we're, you know, there's no difference between anybody, we're all the same, uh, you know, it all mashes together. That's kind of an Eastern and, uh, and atheistic type view that there is no above and below. And so, um, it's, it's why, you know, I know I'm kind of diving into this a little bit here, but it's why, from a humanistic perspective, it's why evolution is so f- fundamental, so important to them, because if, if, if you can dismantle creation, if you can undo creation, the elements of a design and of a designer and of a higher authority are all eliminated. If there's no creation, there's nobody to answer to. There's no creator. There's, there, there's, there's no authority in our, in our world and in our life. So if God is eliminated, we become our own gods, and if we're our own gods, we can set our own standards. And we answer to no one. That's really important for us to understand. And it affects this. Now, I cannot get into the rest of this message without just addressing kind of where we're at in our culture. Jesus is affirming here that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what Jesus teaches. He affirms that from the very creation. And I know today the marriage-like union of two men or two women is legal. It's a total non-issue for most people. If you're if you're under forty, you're most likely to say, "Yeah, it's fine." Even as a even as a Christian, I understand that. But you under, need to understand that's not a biblical understanding of marriage. Marriage isn't simply the union of two people who, you know, like each other enough to rub their bodies together. That's that's not the definition of a marriage. It's not just a civil union. Marriage 
is it meant to be a reflection of our Creator. We're created in His image. Specifically, the Bible says male and female brought together as one. So we're like kinds, but we're different. We're not the same. And we're, we're called to save sexual intimacy only for each other. And so a same-sex union contradicts God's design of male and female. Now, I got to go a little further into this. If you're someone who, who grapples with or uh, you feel comfortable, comfortable in the realm of same-sex attraction or you've got loved ones who are in same-sex relationships, I want to tell you God does not love you any less. You're not, you're not less loved by God. Um, but He calls you to something greater than your sexuality. Your sexuality doesn't need to be, shouldn't be what defines you. And so most folks who identify as homosexual would probably say, at least from my experience, my interactions, would say they didn't choose that. It's not, they in fact tried to resist or avoid that lifestyle. Um, and so it's, it can even be confusing for them. And so I just want you to understand that um, I'm not here to condemn anyone. I would say, if this is, if I'm speaking to you, I would say you're welcome here, but with this caveat, I am going to speak the truth to you that Jesus calls you, if this is, you sense, I, this is really how I feel like I'm wired. I think, God, like I say, I think God has more for you than that. I, I don't think that is how you've been wired, but even if that's the place you're at today, uh, then God would call you to sexual celibacy. And if you are to marry, that the only legitimate Christian marriage is between you know, a biological man and a biological woman. So I hope I'm able to explain that. I hope you hear my heart on that, that I love you and I want you to, to grasp the truth. But, but God has more for you than just the identif- you know, what, how you identify in your sexuality. And that God has, a, has designed the male and the female and meant to be together in marriage. Marriage is a, is a picture of God's relationship with us. Particularly between Christ and the church. Where Jesus the groom brings us into an intimate relationship. Under his care and under his protective authority. Alright. That's kind of a bunch of theology and a bunch of understanding. I want you to understand that I'm married. My wife is honestly... Disappointed that she, she's working today. She's a registered nurse and so has to work sometimes on weekends. And she goes, ah, oh, I don't want to miss this one. And I said, well, now I can say whatever I want. Uh, <laughs> but our marriage. Um, but we met 30 years ago this month. And uh, yeah, and it's been really good. Um, and it was one of those, it's almost, it's almost, a, it was almost a fairy tale romance in the sense that she recognized right away what an awesome guy she was getting. And, um, and uh, I think I've told you the, the story of how we met, so maybe I'll tell it again sometime. But I feel incredibly blessed beyond measure. Um, now, to you who are married, or to you who hope to be married uh, one day, your marriage is, or it will be, a demonstration a real-time object lesson of God's grace and God's love as you live in grace and love toward each other. So you're to live your marriage as an enviable testimony to the world 
of what Jesus can do. Your marriage isn't just a social contract. It's a covenant, a union, reflecting Jesus in his church. So, let's go back to Mark 10 where we started. Uh, the Pharisees are asking Jesus uh, to endorse, or if he's going to endorse divorce. I don't know why they kind of want to go after this. Uh, you know, they had really over time developed some real specific kind of allowances for divorce, something as simple as for any reason. If, in fact, in in, uh, in those um, uh, writings, there's kind of even used the example of a of a woman burns the burns the food, and that's that's ample reason for divorce. He can write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Um, I don't know what happens if the guy uh, leaves the burgers too long in the barbecue, but apparently he's allowed to do that. Um, but she can't burn the toast. So uh, I'm not sure how that goes. But um, that goes back to, to Deuteronomy 24, where it is actually permitted what happens in the case of a divorce. The specific instruction that if they divorce and she moves into a new uh, relationship and that relationship should end by death or divorce, she's not permitted to go back to husband number one. That's kind of what's specifically covered in Deuteronomy 24. But Jesus responds with this very succinct theology of marriage, and he says this in verses 6 through 9, but God made the male and female from the beginning of creation. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You hear that probably at every marriage ceremony that you've been at or something, some paraphrase of that. Jesus is telling us here that marriage is unique among relationships in that you start completely apart, total strangers, and you grow together increasingly over time. And so in a lifetime, it's moving to greater and greater and greater connection. That's that's what marriage is doing. And you compare that to something like a parent-child relationship that you start as close as possibly, particularly between a mother and child, you start as close as possibly uh, could be, and over time you move apart, further and further apart. And so to the point where Jesus says, uh, the, the, the man leaves his parents and is united to his wife, and they start over again. So marriage is about growing together over time. Other relationships are has some kind of connection, um, disconnection growing over time. And it's important to understand that um, you, you, you start apart, you continue to grow close together. And when you consistently move toward connection in marriage, I would say the potential is unlimited. Because as you do that, as you're really committed to growing together, you're going to raise great kids or great grandkids, you're going to make good financial decisions, you're going to, you're going to just accomplish great things for the Lord as you seek to serve Him together. Um, you're really going to find joy and satisfaction in your relationship with one another. And every person, every married person, I believe, every married person really wants a great marriage. Uh, but great marriages do not happen by default. They don't just kind of accident. You don't just kind of fall into it by mistake. Um, and, and I would just say some people are in really horrible marriages and they don't even realize it. If you're in a marriage that's combative or, you know, competitive or, or conflicted in some way, you may not even realize it. You've probably settled because things, well, this is how it is. This is how it was for my parents and all my siblings are like this. And, and, and we're, isn't this what everybody does? Isn't this how it goes for everyone? Uh, where you're kind of at each other and you live your separate lives. You think, isn't this normal? It might be normal, but it's not good and right. God has so much more for you than that. Some of you are like, 
kind of roommates, and that's about as about as good as it gets. Uh, and so when that happens, then you throw yourself into your hobbies, or you you throw yourself into sports, or you know, gals into your girlfriends, or guys into your buddies, and you kind of live sort of together, but kind of these two separate lives. And that is no bueno, I'm telling you. But it's pretty common. And 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 um, I would say this: if by your choice, you can stay married and have a great marriage. My wife was telling me yesterday about um, a coworker she was working with who who uh, was just kind of puzzled that she at at this stage of her life likes her husband and looks forward to going home and being with her husband and and uh, kind of it was kind of a mystery to her that is that even possible? Yeah, yeah. We actually like each other. We enjoy being together. Um, all right, so how do you have a great marriage? How do you have a great marriage? Jesus tells us the secret. When asked about divorce, Jesus says this in verse 5, Moses wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. So, if your marriage is less than great today, or if you're hoping to be in a great marriage someday, you're looking forward to that day, I've got a secret for you. Ready? The secret to a great marriage. It's not better communication. Definitely necessary. You've got to learn to communicate well. It's not learning the life, love languages by Gary, Chap- Gary Chapman. Highly recommend it. It's a good practice to do. Get the book. Right? Uh, the secret to a great marriage is not hot romance. That helps and that's great fun. Right? It's not regular date nights. Good habit to get into. It's not amazing vacations. Go for it if you can. It's not owning your dream house. Are you ready? The secret to a great marriage is a soft heart. According to Jesus. The secret to a great marriage is a soft heart. See, why did Moses make allowance for divorce? Because as sinners, we naturally have hard hearts. That's our default. And hard hearts don't get along well with each other. They they tumble around and they bang into each other and they're hurtful and they, they break things and they, they, they rub the wrong way and hard hearts are destructive to each other. But there's this good news that when God's at work, when you turn to Him in faith to be forgiven, to be saved, to receive new life in Christ, He gives you a new soft heart. God said to Ezekiel, um, to, to the people of Israel through Ezekiel, Upon promising back to bring them back to their homeland out of exile, he says this in Ezekiel 36. Let's go to that next slide. Ezekiel 36 goes like this. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. Anybody have one of those? I do. Used to. Um, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God does the work of new hearts, taking out our old hard heart and giving us a new, tender, soft, teachable, malleable, sensitive, caring, compassionate heart. So a a satisfying, successful marriage is a product of that soft heart. And so we're just, I'm going to give you three uh, qualities of a soft heart today. If you're taking notes, you want to write these things down. First is this, that a soft heart 
is a gift of God's grace. A soft heart is a gift of God's grace to you. Second um, Corinthians 5 tells us that you know anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person, a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God does this work of renewing our heart when we come to him. Or Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece created uh, anew in Christ Jesus for the good works that he has planned for us long ago. God does that work of recreating. God does that work of making new. And as you yield your life to Christ daily, he takes that hard sinner's heart and replaces it with a soft heart. You don't create it. You receive it from Jesus. And a heart that's received God's... Here's the good news. A heart that's received God's grace, guess what? Is able to give God's grace. You cannot give grace until you've received it first. That's the amazing thing. It says Jesus, as John writes, that we love because he loved us first. As we receive, we're able to give that grace and that tenderness. And so there are days in your marriage when you think, I can't take it any longer. I can't handle this person. (laughs) Right? God, this woman... I mean, there's not a man that has not prayed that prayer. God, this woman. And of course, the women, like, Lord, that guy. <laughs> right? And you just want to say, it's like the old saying, I think this is attributed to uh, Billy Graham's wife. I don't think it's really from her, but she gets the credit for the saying. Have you ever considered divorce? No, murder a few times, but never divorce. Right? <laughs> There's times you just think, oh, I, just, I can't, I can't, why can't she get it? Why can't she, she's not understanding me, she's not trying. And then you go spend some time in the mirror and you realize, you know what, I, I got stuff too. Lord, soften my heart. God's put you in that relationship for the benefit of your spouse. God's placed you there to be a blessing to them. And so make that your priority. And that's what that soft heart does, just to receive God's grace and give God's grace even when it's difficult and when they don't deserve it and when they've they've hurt you. To say, God, I want to give grace. So a soft heart is a gift of God's grace. The risk of a soft heart, of course, that it can be hurt. It can be wounded. And a hard heart seems pretty tough. A hard heart seems like, hey, ain't nobody going to hurt me. A soft heart can be wounded. So our goal in life then is to develop uh, thick skin and a soft heart rather than thin skin and a hard heart. Right? Too many people have thin skin and a hard heart when we need kind of thick skin and a soft heart. That would be a good goal to get to. So a soft heart is a gift of God's grace. And if you've never received God's forgiveness in your life. This would be a great day to do that. To say, Jesus, I just receive the forgiveness for all that I've done. That you'll uh, make me new from the inside out. To give me that soft, tender heart in place of my hard heart. Alright, secondly is that a soft heart loves God's design. Soft heart loves God's design. And by that I mean his design for marriage. That, that Jesus says, you know, Moses wrote this as a concession to your hard hearts. But God... But God made them male and female. It's an interesting jump that, that Jesus goes from kind of our way of thinking, but God, into God's way of thinking. I've made this diversity on purpose. It's not always easy to take two very different 
people, two different ways of thinking, two, so many things that are different and unify them together. But that's God's design, joined together as one. And a soft heart sees this kind of explosive potential of, of getting marriage right, to get, get it God's way, to, to seek to preserve and, and uh, applaud and support marriages. And, and even if you're not married, you can uh, love God's design and encourage the married people around you as images of God's grace. I want to, you know, I, I think about my own uh, parents. Mary, this year it'll be uh, uh, 65 years, I think. What's 1955 till now? 65, right? Um, and they've been people who have always encouraged their kids in their own marriages. They've worked really hard not to kind of meddle or to kind of interfere or take sides, but they've always they've been really good about sort of kind of making sure that we, as our own kids, are kind of pushed together in our own marriages. That's been really, really helpful. They've, they've, they've applauded God's design by, by respecting this teaching of Jesus to we leave the home and we cleave to our new relationship. And um, we're actually going to go celebrate uh, with them this this spring significant birthday and looking at that 65 years together. It's amazing. Um, but you can love God's design. And so even if you're not married, maybe you're widowed at this point, you can be such a blessing to your kids and to your grandkids and their marriages and just encourage them together, push them together, uh, applaud them. If you're a single person and you've got kind of a coworker who's complaining about their spouse, um, just just be somebody who encourages them to, to keep working at it. Uh, keep ch- kind of challenging them to, to work together. If you're somebody who, um, in your own life, uh, you're like, you're just kind of longing for that day of meeting the right person. Uh, just be happy for those who are getting there and just keep bringing that desire to the Lord as well. So the third thing I would say uh, about a soft heart is that a soft heart chooses spouse over self and others. A soft heart chooses spouse over self and others. And I think this is the big one. I, I've witnessed a lot of marriages in these years of, of working with families. And uh, I've seen good marriages. I've seen bad. I've seen indifferent marriages. And I would say this. When, when I've seen selfish or disdainful or critical spouses, um, they have a dim marital future. Particularly if they're publicly critical or publicly kind of negative about their relationship. And in a good marriage, um, each spouse chooses this, the other over their, over themselves. Now, you're going to say, well, Brian, you know, I, I need my, you know, what about self-care and what about making sure my needs are met? Listen, as you seek to care for and support and bless your spouse, um, that, and if you're both doing that, that's reciprocated and you grow together in that way. Um, and so, um, just, it's about choosing the other over yourself and not, just choosing not to be selfish. Um, you, you make your spouse's well-being your priority. Um, every marriage has issues, even long-term marriages. Uh, we cannot possibly meet each other's every expectation and every need. You are not Jesus to your spouse. You're not Jesus. And so there's, you're going to have, there's going to be shortcomings in your relationship to your spouse. You just cannot meet their every need and they cannot meet yours. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect wife. Well, mine's pretty close, but there's no perfect husband and there's no perfect wife. So 
why do some enjoy marriage even when, and you know, you've probably met people like this, even recovering from neglect or unfaithfulness, and even those people seem to be enjoying marriage together. How is that possible? It's that soft heart. They've chosen to have a soft heart. A soft heart is quick to forgive, and a soft heart shows mercy, and a soft heart is quick to serve, and it's quick to build up, and it doesn't keep score, and it's quick to help, and quick to admit mistakes, and will repent quickly, and loves to give, and loves to sacrifice. Marriage succeeds. Listen, marriage, a good marriage succeeds because it's in the mundane, day-to-day decisions to faithfully love and forgive and serve. Successful marriage isn't doesn't happen because you had the amazing vacation to Hawaii. That's the icing on the cake. The marriage succeeds because it's in the ordinary, boring, routine stuff of everyday caring for one another, keeping that soft heart, serving one another, forgiving one another, extending more both ways. Because communication, that can be learned. You can get a book on the love languages. Sexual intimacy can be practiced, but a soft heart, soft heart comes by receiving, only by receiving the grace of God. And as we receive God's grace, um, it, we, we receive God's grace by admitting, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness in my life. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. Simple question. Is your heart soft today? Is your heart soft you have that new heart from God. And I know, I, I know, I may not be speaking to everyone today. Only a, a portion of us are, are married here. Some of you are, are bleeding from a broken relationship. Some of you are longing to be married. I get that. If you're somebody who's dealing up with the mess of a, of an unhelpful ex, maybe even a destructive uh, former spouse, I would say, kind of the one thing I would say to you is to work at creating boundaries over bitterness, um, and don't expect righteous behavior from a, from a sinner. If you're looking for Mister or Miss Right in your life, just keep bringing that desire to Jesus. Don't make the dream of the perfect marriage or the perfect spouse an idol in your life where you worship that goal instead of worshiping Jesus. If you've never invited Jesus into your own life to replace your stone heart with a soft heart, you could do that today. It's not that difficult. It begins with, we we talk about ABC, accept Jesus by admitting, the A is to admit that I'm a sinner and in need of God's forgiveness. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for His sin and He rose again. And see, to commit your life to follow Him, confessing your sins and receiving all His forgiveness. Christy and worship team, I'm going to invite you guys to come and and lead us. We're going to introduce a new song today that I've been kind of looking forward to singing for a while called Waymaker. I just want to take a moment to those of you who feel like you're kind of hanging on by a thread right now. Things are thin in your marriage. Or maybe you just feel great levels of disappointment for what hasn't happened, what hasn't flourished, what hasn't come through for you. I would say stop just kind of hoping for things to change. And sincerely and intentionally bring your stuff 
to Jesus. Bring your anger or your disappointment or your hurt or your frustration. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to the cross because Jesus is the way maker. When you feel like I've tried everything I can think of in this marriage and I'm, I'm out of options. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know where to go. Jesus is the way maker. Some of you have some amazing testimonies of how God's met you and he brought healing to your life and healing to your marriages. And, and that's just true. And stop saying, I can fix this. I can fix this. I'm telling you, you can't. You've tried and you can't until you receive that tenderness of Jesus, the soft heart that he wants to give you by his grace. And to proclaim, Jesus, I'm just going to bring it all to you. Maybe something else in your life today that you're just, you didn't listen to a thing I said today because you were thinking about what you got to deal with tomorrow at work or your finances or something at home or your uh, school or something else. I want to say even for you today, let's just jump out of that marriage comment for a moment, topic for a moment and just say, Jesus is your way maker today. And just say, Jesus, I bring this to you. Maybe there's something I've said today that's kind of offended you or you, you, you disagree. I want to say, bring that to Jesus. Jesus is the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness.